Welcome everybody to Catfish Weekly, episode 103, presented by Whiskerware Apparel, along with Chuck Davis, and I'm Lyle Stokes, and welcome to the show. Chuck, did you get any of that bad weather over the weekend? It was really cold. Uh, we had a few snow flurries on Friday, um, you know, just, just enough for everybody to get stupid and uh, buy up all the milk and bread, but nothing ever accumulated anywhere. Now... When you say really cold, what are you talking about? Uh, when I talk really cold, it's it stays cold day and night. Um, you know, it, it it stays around freezing. That's really cold to me. You know, uh, I don't mind winter days to where you know it gets up in the <laughs> and back down into the twenties or something like that because it does warm up a little bit. But you know, the 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 pressure system that come through. Um, you know, it pretty much for a few days there, it, it stayed in the 30s, at, you know, for the highs. So it, it took a lot to, uh, you know, warm up the bones. I know uh, Bobby Vargas posted a few minutes ago in our chat that they had around 40 inches of snow out there. I'm glad that he's enjoying that. We don't need any of it in Missouri. We usually get it, and this time it missed us. We're happy about that. Jerry Dillard says in Texas today it was 75 degrees. Boy, that's tough tough sledding right there. It is. You can't make no snowballs in that weather. <laughs> no. Justin Connor says they got 17 inches. That's still more than enough for anybody. You know, uh, we're pretty fortunate. We've had some uh, really good people on our show, and tonight we are fortunate enough to have Zach Royce join us for the show. Welcome, Zach. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. For the people that don't know, Zach caught two state record fish in a 24-hour period. One of them, I believe, was 92, and one of them 105. Is that right, Zach? Uh, yes, sir. Ninety-one and one hundred five. That's that's outstanding. You know, to to break a state record any time is is a quite a feat in itself, but to do it twice in twenty-four hours, I mean, uh, the catfish gods was smiling on you that day for sure. Yes, yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm quite sure we've got a pretty good uh, bunch of people in the chat to at. You know tonight, and and I know that Chuck is sitting there with just a whole bunch of questions for you. So we'll get started and let him take off with that. And as they come in uh, over the chat line, we'll try to get them to you as quickly as we can. So you guys, when you write them questions, don't get excited for a few minutes getting to you. But we're gonna we're gonna get to them just as as quickly as we can. Chuck, are you ready to go with Zach? Oh yeah, I'm ready. All right, dude. Hey Zach. Uh I just want you to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, where you're from, where you live. Uh, tell us a little bit about your guide service and, uh, you know, what got you into catfishing and uh, what made you decide to make it a full-time career. Sure. Well, I grew up um, in Murfreesboro, North Carolina. Um, it's about an hour away from Lake Gaston. And what, you know, what got me into catfishing was uh, basically my, my father started taking me at a young age. Um, you know, it started, we were just on the bank. And we didn't have a boat or anything. You know, nothing fancy, no fancy gear. And we honestly had no clue what we were doing. Um, you know, my dad grew up uh, as a bass fisherman. So, um, you know, we did a lot of bass fishing before we started catfishing. So it was a whole new thing to us. 
Um, we started out, you know, on the bank with night crawlers catching channel cats. Um, even use a little bit of, you know, the classic stink bait out of the, the jar. <laughs> so it, you know, it was just a learning process. Um, you know, started out on the bank and and did a lot of reading and researching um, and just, you know, started evolving that way using cut bait and whatnot. Uh, started catching slightly better fish and then when I was about uh, 15, about 10 years ago, uh, my dad, uh, you know, he got he got a nice little aluminum catfishing boat, and we started fishing out of that. Um, that was kind of when things got, you know, really serious as far as actually going out and putting a whole lot of time in and learning the water and, and chasing after those blue cats. Uh, previously, we'd been catching a lot of channel cats and, you know, small blue cats, five to ten pounds. Um, but once we got out there on a boat and could really, um, you know, move around and fish different areas and kind of track the different seasonal patterns, uh, we started doing a lot better. And ever since then, it just slowly took off. And it, it got to the point, you know, when I got old enough to drive on my own and, and get my own boat, um, I just I couldn't stay off the water, man. I was out there every chance I got. You know, when I was in high school, I was out there. Every time I wasn't in school, I was on the water. Um, and it was a great thing. I feel like it, you know, it's a great thing for young people to, to do to keep them, uh, you know, on the right track and out of trouble. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, it's become an addiction for me. And, uh, I, you know, in the last few years, I'm out there uh, anywhere from 24 to 72 hours straight on an average trip uh, without going home. Uh, being that's a little bit of a drive for me, it's not really practical for me to drive out there and, and fish eight hours and come home. So uh, I'm usually out there for a long period of time, um, and, that, and I feel like that really helps, you know, stay on top of the fish as well, and just really, really learn a lot doing doing uh, fishing that way, uh, being out there so much and trying different things and having time to try new places. Okay, um, tell us a little bit about the regulations y'all have out in North Carolina and um, on the blue cats and the other catfish. Um, well, unfortunately, um, you know, Lake Gaston, there's not really uh, any regulations on blue catfish or channel catfish or flathead catfish. Um, so, you know, it's... it's is really unfortunate, but you know, in other parts of the state, there are uh, things you know starting to come into place. Um, I'm not too familiar with exactly what the regulations are, uh, you know, in the western part of the state, but I do know there are some regulations um, coming into play on the blue catfish, and uh, I believe you know it's somewhat similar to Virginia's rule as far as one fish over 32 inches per day um, so I'm hoping that that continues to you know to grow and and it may be in the future the whole state will have you know regulations on the catfish and we can try to preserve what we have yeah um, well yeah I was reading up on it in the late Norman and uh, Baden um, you know, one blue cat over 32. Uh, you know, you're you're the future of the sport out there. You're you're going to be one of the um, so-called mentors that people's going to be looking up to, and they're going to be following you big time. And 
you know, you're setting the example, you're setting the, the stage for, you know, these guys that are coming up behind you and with you. Um, do you, do you see you starting to get involved, uh, on trying to get some regulations going on Gadsden and some of the other lakes in, in North Carolina and, uh, trying to get North Carolina on, on track with the other states that have these regulations that are getting their, their lakes a lot of attention and a lot of, uh, tourists coming in? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've been in contact now for about two years, um, with, you know, with state biologists and officials, you know, just trying to to get my point across to them and, and let them know there's a lot of anglers that feel the same way as me uh, as far as the regulations go. Um, you know, the thing is everybody just got to work together and you know, if enough people voice their opinions, then I do think that it'll keep making progress. You know, just as it has in the other part of the state. Um, you know, bathing and, and warming, as you were saying, uh, with the regulations coming into play there. You know, I think is, I think things are definitely, um, you know, improving for the catfishing community and uh, for trophy catfishing as far as recognition goes about. Um, having regulations for the trophy fish. Yeah, uh, you know, I may be wrong, but you know, the the two trophies that you that you did land, I know you've probably had some that big uh, actually own and get off or uh, you know, had them on for a little while and you actually knew what was in that lake. Um, do you see after setting the, uh, the the record on Gadsden um, and more or less letting the cat out of the bag uh, are, are you kind of worried about people coming onto the lake now and actually uh, <coughs> you know starting to uh, you know catch these big fish and you know take them home and stuff like that um you know a little bit I've definitely seen a, a slight increase in um, catfishing types of boats out there uh, since I've caught the two fish. You know, this time of year is kind of hard to, to judge it, of course. Well, a lot of people just aren't going to go out in the really cold weather. Um, so I'm sure when, when things warm up a little bit, there'll be a huge increase in pressure, um, you know, from people coming out and targeting those catfish. And, you know, definitely don't have any problem with that. It's just... It, it would be a shame if people come out and take the fish, you know, and, and don't put them back. Um, you know, it's, those trophy fish, when you take one trophy fish, you're not just killing that one particular fish. You're really having, you know, putting a negative impact on the whole population with those being, you know, the main breeders and, and having the genes to really help the trophy population. Uh, you know, there's so many smaller fish to keep. I can't understand why people do keep the trophies um, to eat or whatever else they do with them. Um, you know, my opinion is you know, keep the five, ten pounders and, and let the trophies swim and keep the population going strong. Uh, so I hope that that attitude will kind of uh, catch on with more anglers. It, it seems to be, you know, it, it is definitely getting better from what I've seen. Um, so I can only hope for the best on that as far as Lake Gaston goes. I know Kerr Lake, for example, has had a lot of pressure since the world record was caught. There's been a lot of fish over 100 pounds taken out of there. 
And it's just uh, really a shame, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, do y'all have uh, so-called pay lakes uh, in North Carolina? You know, the ones where commercial fishermen sell or uh, go out and catch uh, trophy cats, put them in small ponds, and charge people to come catch them? I don't know of uh, any pay lakes personally in North Carolina. I'm sure there are some. Um, but I just haven't, I haven't come across any. You know, I haven't seen any in North Carolina. I know they're a big thing in a lot of other places, and they, they, there may be in other parts of North Carolina, other parts of the state. But uh, in this area, I just haven't, haven't really heard too much of them. Um, but I know that's a, that's a threat for a lot of uh, public bodies of water. Uh, pay lakes, you know, are taking fish from the from the public bodies of water and putting them in these pay lakes. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's real sad that, um, you know, the kind of education that people's received on this and, you know, people that go to these pay lakes and actually catch a, a large fish um, and, and call it their personal best, you know, how can you call a fish your personal best when it's already been caught? Um, you know, you wasn't the one that caught that fish. Somebody caught it with, with a net a hoop net or something and, and it was probably caught by a uh, you know a, a trophy catfish sportsman before that and was actually released so um, you know these people who go out and catch these fish and bring them and put them in these small ponds to uh, you know to live a few months be caught a few times and end up dying and, and being used for a gambling piece and stuff you know that that's really sad part of the uh, you know the catfishing environment that you know is trying to get a big hold of right now, um, and I, I'm glad that you don't see a lot of that in your parts of the uh, the country or in your state because you know that right there can really affect large bodies of water. And by you know you catching those two fish and the wrong people seeing it, um, it don't matter what body of water you're in. When these guys learn how to catch these fish. Um, you know, they know how to target trenches, uh, deep water ledges, and, which these fish use for their highways. And all you got to do is set the right netting systems up, and uh, you can really do some damage quick on these lakes. That's right. You know, it's, it's a lot different than even, um, you know, a rod and reel angler going out and, and catching a few, um, you know, large fish and taking them home. Um, you know, that's bad enough in my opinion, but these guys with the big nets and everything and the commercial gear, they can really wipe out the whole population of trophy fish in no time. Yeah, you know, um, you know, when when you caught when you caught the first trophy and um, you know, posted it that that you did a, a, a preliminary weight on it, um, you was having problems getting the conservation officers out for weight and you was going to um, you was going to keep it alive, do everything you could overnight until they got there the next day. Uh, do you mind walking through with us uh, everything you had to go to to care for that fish to have a successful weight and release on it? Sure. Um, you know, the first problem was being that I fished out of a Carolina skiff, um, I didn't have an actual live well that would fit a fish of that size in it. Um, so what I had to do was 
I had to call uh, first uh, who came out was Caleb Page. Uh, he brought his Excel catfishing boat, and you know it has the large live well across the back. Uh, until he got there, I kept the fish in the water inside the hoop of the landing net. Um, so that way, you know, the, the fish had fresh water the whole time and I didn't have to worry about it. And with it being, you know, cooler out in the cooler water temperatures, that helped a lot as well. Uh, so I, I kept the fish in the water um, the whole time, you know, beside the boat at the boat dock. And Caleb showed up with his boat and then while transporting it to uh, his live well, we got a weight on it, you know, in the hoop of the net. We weighed it and then we put it in his live well. And he, uh, you know, pumped fresh water in and, and kept it circulating until um, Zach Zajac could come with his portable tournament live well. Um, and once once Zach Zajac got there, we put the portable live well on my boat, and it's you know more than enough uh, for a, a, a 90, 100 pound catfish. It was no problem fitting the fish in there safely. Uh, so then we. Uh, Took the fish from Caleb's boat and put it in the portable live well on my boat that Zach Zajac had brought, and that that was the most tedious part of the whole thing was the fact that that live well, the portable live well, doesn't have a constant circulation on it, so I had to actually um, pump fresh water, you know, in and then pump water out uh, at least every hour. You know, just to be on the safe side and make sure that fish had fresh oxygen and everything. So it was it was a long night. Um, you know, my father, I had called him, and he was over there uh, in a matter of a half hour or so to, to help me out. And we kind of took turns going out and, and pumping water in uh, to keep the fish, you know, alive and kicking. It ended up being the next day. You know, being at Carter on a Sunday, it ended up being Monday morning before we could actually get to a certified skill and have a, a North Carolina biologist come out to certify the fish. Um, so, then the next morning, you know, I got up with a biologist and we found a place that had certified propane scales about five miles from the boat ramp. Uh, so, luckily, we didn't have to go too far. And uh, we met up with the biologist and, and had everything certified and then returned to the boat ramp to go back out and release the fish. Uh, as I said, we had to pump water about every hour into that tank. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a job, you know, doing that. And it was really stressful, most of all, because the last thing I wanted was that fish to end up, you know, being unhealthy or anything like that. That was my main priority was keeping that fish alive and kicking. Yeah, you you was you was ready to release him at any time if you felt like you needed to revive him and go ahead and let him go. That's right. And you know, I I really wanted to get it certified of course. I mean who wouldn't? But uh, you know, if it had seemed like there was no way I could do it then the fish would have swam, you know, and swam away and I just would have had to to live with that, you know. As I'm not gonna kill the fish, so whatever happened would have happened is, is the way I was looking at it. True sportsman, yeah. right there, folks. True yes, sportsman. Uh, yeah, you really, uh, you know, you set the example there. Um, 
you know, maybe a lot of guys will take this and, uh, you know, do the exact same thing, even though, I mean, I see how much stuff I end up in the bottom of li my live well after a tournament with some 40s and 50s in it. Um, you know, and me and Lyle both have actually had probably three or four pounds of poop all over us, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to get a picture. Um, you know, so, you know, the, these fish do lose a lot of weight from the time you catch them to, you know, the end of the tournament or whatever, did. Uh, when you when you took the uh, the weight when Caleb got there, what was the most that you think that fish had ever weighed, uh, you know, before the 91-pound certification weight? Well, the most, um, he, the scale that he was using, um, he had had it tested against some skills that are certified, so we're uh, we're pretty much positive that his skills were dead on. And when we weighed the fish um, before printing in his live well, it was 94 pounds. Uh, so I think it, it is quite possible the fish did lose three pounds overnight. You know, that's kind of what I expected that it would lose two or three pounds. You know, and sitting overnight is is uh, going to regurgitate and whatnot. So. That definitely yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and you know, you, you know, they're probably gonna, you know, bring water through their gills, you know, and get it in their their stomach and their swim bladder or whatever for their, you know, their urinal tract. Because I've actually got fish out at the tournament, carried it from the boat to the to the scale, and it peed the whole time. And then when I got it out. To carry it, we had a big swimming pool set up at Cabela's, and it peed all the way to the swimming pool. So, um, you know, no telling how much more it finished doing, um, you know, but, you know, all that counts when, you know, when you're getting that weight for that record. But, uh, I mean, you did a great job, and, um, you know, and by you doing such a great job, it, I think somebody was taking care of you and said, hey, this guy right here deserves something much greater. And uh, tell us about what happened later on that day that was much greater. Uh, well, upon going out to release the, the first fish, um, re released it you know, in the area that I originally caught it because I just felt like that was the best thing for the fish, you know. Um, and, you know, maybe I sound a little bit silly, but I figured, hey, the fish came from that area, so it'll feel more familiar going back in that area. Correctly, uh, a lot, lot less stress. That's right. And with a fish of that size, um, you know, every little bit of stress that you can save it, the better, the way I look at it. Yes. So, um, you know, we took it back out and, and released it, you know, in the original area where I landed it, and I told my father... We, you know, we have fresh bait. We have the rods on the boat. So why not drift a little more? Uh, you know, why not do a little more fishing? Um, of course, we didn't expect anything, you know, crazy to happen. Uh, but we, we did start fishing more after releasing the fish. And it wasn't long after releasing the fish and, and starting to fish again that, um, you know, my rod bent just, just bent over you know, tremendously to the point where I knew it was another big fish, uh, but of course I didn't expect it to be what it ended up being. Uh, I grabbed the rod and it was, you know, just as I was hung up, it, it felt like I couldn't even move it, you know, I felt like I was hung. Um, 
after I gave a couple of yanks, you know, as I would to kind of bounce off um, a rock or a stump or something, uh, the fish yanked back on me to let me know who was in charge. And at that point, I realized, you know, just uh, just how big of a fish I had on. And the first thing that crossed my mind was, there's no way this is happening. You know, this fish felt bigger than the one I had just released. Um, but I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was I didn't know what to think, to be honest. Um, it was it was a you know a great fight. Um, I didn't get the whole thing on video. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the video of both the fish, and I did not have my camera going when I first started fighting the fish. And luckily, uh, my dad remembered that I didn't have it on and started it after I'd already had the fish on about 10 minutes. Um, so what people see in that video is 10 minutes into the fight, basically. Uh, but the fish pulled a lot of drag off. Uh, it, you know, it didn't do the the traditional run down to the bottom and just kind of kind of sit and up and down vertical type of fight. This fish ran out. Um, at one point, I actually thought it was going to spool me, being that I was using a, a Abu 6500 uh, with 30 pound line. You know, that cuts down on the line capacity, uh, having that diameter of mono on that smaller reel. So it, it made a long run, and at one point, um, I actually told my dad, I said, you might have to chase it with the trolling motor. Um, <laughs> but but luckily, it, it stopped. It slowed down. Um, you know, it got it to the boat uh, two or three times before actually having a chance to get it in the net. And then once we finally did get it uh, close enough to get in the net, the problem was it, it just wouldn't fit in the net that I had. Uh, so, you know, my dad did the best he could and managed to get the head of the fish in, but the rest of it was hanging out. And, uh, you know, as people probably saw the video, I, of course, was, was screaming and kind of freaking out. <laughs> uh, I was just so nervous, you know, that this fish would get away. But... Uh, we managed to get it in the boat, and literally as soon as the net, you know, got into the boat with the fish, the hook popped out. So it was a close call. Um, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of really good fish at the boat before, and, and that's why I was so nervous about it. But somebody was definitely looking down on me and looking out for me on this one. Uh, everything was just meant to be, I guess. And, you know, it ended up uh, – we. Being that it was a Monday and I had just uh, got the other one certified, I, I had the number for the biologist still, and it was no no tough obstacle getting this one certified. The fish was in the live well a total of an hour or so before coming back to the lake to be released. So that was a good thing, too. Uh, it was a lot easier process with this second one. Um, being that I only had 100-pound uh, scales on my boat, uh, I didn't know what to really think about the size of the fish. You know, I waited on my spring scales, and it maxed them out, uh, as I said, 100 pounds. But looking at the fish, it looked so much bigger than the previous fish I had landed that I didn't know if it was 120 or 130 pounds, but I knew it was definitely another record. So went ahead and got everything certified, and it came out to 105 pounds on certified scales. And... Uh, of course, was released to, to grow bigger, um, you know, hopefully into a world record. <laughs>
Um, how, how long did it take for the uh, conservation officer to get there, and did y'all go through the same process, going to the propane place and all that again, um, as you did with the first fish? Yeah, it was the same place and the same uh, North Carolina biologist, um, but this time it only took them, you know, 30 minutes or so to, to meet us at the scale. So, well, what did he say when he got there? Uh, Y'all pulling my leg or what do you think? <laughs> well, I called him first. Um, I called him as soon as we landed the fish and, and got it in the live well. And I told him, I said, uh, you know, I've got another fish in the boat and I'm positive that it's a new state record. And he said, are you serious or, you know, you're not joking, are you? And I said, no, sir, I wouldn't joke about this. I'm, I'm positive this fish is over 100 pounds. Um, he said, well, I haven't gotten home yet, but I'll go ahead and turn around <laughs> at the place. And, <laughs> and we went ahead and had it there. <laughs> oh, man, that's priceless. Yeah, um, you know, you, you was posting some uh, some really awesome photos, you know, and, and supporting your sponsors, you know, showing off the uh, the equipment you was using to catch the fish and everything. and. You know, I'm always thinking ahead, so I'm building my story for the show already. And so I sent Caleb a, a, a text, and I said, Caleb, how are you going to handle this? I said, I don't know if if y'all consider um, Zach a pro staff or not, but, you know, a lot of places will say their pro staff – uh, you know, aren't going to be eligible for the bonuses or you know, anything like that. And he said, sure enough, he said, um, Zach's going to be just like anybody else. He's going to get this, um, he's going to get this money. I said, 10 grand. He goes, no, 15. He was wearing the shirt. I said, well, I didn't know about the other five now. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that's mighty awesome, you know, that, you know, your sponsor did that because, you know, a lot of other companies, they would have said, all right, Mr. Pro Staff, you did the company right, you know, and, and a lot of places put stuff like that, you know, when you sign with them that, you know, you're not going to be eligible for the stuff that, uh, you know, the promotions are, are going for. So, you know, uh, you know, Caleb and them, they did really good about going through with their commitment. And, um, you know, I, I don't really – know if you was exactly pro staff form but you really do a hell of a job of you know promoting their product and everything so uh, you, you dang de well deserved every penny of it I appreciate well, it. and I those guys definitely um, you know they've been really good to me and you know I really appreciate what they've done for sure you know it uh, it shouldn't matter if you are a member of a company's pro staff or if you are just a average old guy going out that happens to hit a lick, when, when there is money um, offered to guys using a product, whether it be in a tournament or a record situation or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If they are using that product and they hit that record or they win a tournament, they should be eligible no matter what to whatever is offered to them because anybody that's out there has the same opportunity to hit those fish. So it doesn't matter who you're fishing for or whose side you're on. If you hit that lick, 
you've hit the lick. You've earned what whatever's being offered out there and offered up, and I think it's outstanding to, to have that potential in our uh, industry right now. Oh, yeah, and, you know, when, when Mustad had that promotion out about the, um, I don't know if it was state, world record or whatever, and, you know, their fine print um, actually said, you know, the pro staff was, was not, uh, you know, able to be included in that promotion. Um, yeah, that's not fair. No, it's not. You know, and all they said is as long as you have the hooks in the boat. So I'm sure Mustad gave them out, gives their pro staff as many hooks as they need because I've seen some guys in our, our industry that have hook sponsors, and, I mean, they're just pulling out goodie bags full of them, throwing them out to uh, at tournaments so people can try them out. So, you know, these guys are going to have the hooks in the boat, but I think it's totally fair for – anybody to be eligible for any of these contests that is given um, you know if they're pro staff or not yeah absolutely you know Steve Douglas offers some stuff like that at tournaments uh, with his rod holders and uh, that's a really good deal it, and it wouldn't matter if it was him or if it was another uh, company I just that just happened to come to my mind but you know if uh, that that is the thing that's going to make our sport grow if Driftmasters gets involved with that or or Jesse or or whoever it is it doesn't matter if it's the guys that make the little plastic ones that the boys up north use for channel cat fishing if you have one of them on there and and you win a tournament and they are pro throwing up money uh, for having them on your boat when you win that tournament that's good for the sport it all that stuff is what separated catfishing for many years from bass fishing and crappie fishing and things like that. And now people are starting to know to, to get involved, to make this a sport that we all want, that you're going to have to step up and do some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you uh, you ready for the world record now? And where do you think you're going to have to go to get it? Do you think, uh, you think she's laying in the bottom of Gadsden or... You think you're gonna to have to venture off somewhere else around the state, or right out of the state to get her? <laughs> well, I think that Gaston definitely um, has a, a good chance of, of having a 150-pound class fish uh, in it. But I do have to say, you know, <laughs> if I was, you know, targeting a, a world record-sized fish, I think it would be kind of hard to beat Curly. Um, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of fish in there, um, you know, in that size range still. Do you get the opportunity to go fish curve pretty often? I don't get to as much as I I'd like to, uh, but I I do fish it occasionally, and it's a it's a great body of water for sure. Uh, Gaston just hasn't had you know blue cats in it as long as Kerr, and it's not as big a body of water either. Um, but I do think it's catching up and definitely has a lot of potential. Uh, the the tactics that you use on Gadsden and that, that you practice so well on and, uh, you know, get, get your, your techniques down to a, a science. Uh, when you go up to Kerr and you're using those, uh, you know, the, the one you use with the float, um, your float rig and uh, your, your three-way rig and all that. Do you use the exact same techniques when you get up to Kerr as you do on Gadsden? Uh, yes, so far when I've fished Kerr, I've I pretty much fished the same way that I do on Gadsden. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I try to do the exact same thing, you know, because that, that's your comfort zone. That's um, right. A lot yeah, of it, yeah. it's definitely got a lot to do with what you're comfortable doing and, you know, um, uh, you know, techniques and, and rigs that you've had a lot of success with, you're going to have so much more confidence in them that naturally, you know, it's, you're just going to do better with them no matter where you're fishing, in my opinion. Do you get to get on over to the James River and get on it a pretty good bit? I honestly haven't fished the James very much. Um, you know, I'd say on average two or three times a year, um, you know, I'll go out there and make a two or three day trip out of it. But that's somewhere where I've, I've been planning to, to try to fish a little bit more whenever I get a chance. Okay. Well, I think I've used up about enough of the show's time. Uh, I've got about a million other things to pick your brain at, and <laughs> I'm sure we'll be able to get you on again. But I'm going to pass you on over to Lyle, and I'm sure he's got a lot of stuff to go over with you. And um, it was great interviewing you, man. And uh, you're, a, you're a great <laughs> asset to the sport and a great sportsman, and your company is going to go really far. You've got a great attitude. Just keep doing what you're doing and uh, don't change a thing. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Well, Zach, before we get started, Rob Clodfelder is in chat. And, okay. you know, Rob, I know that you're watching and I know that you're looking. And I know you know what <laughs> them are, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I got them. And they're fresh right out of the oven, too. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Zach, we have a couple of questions that are in chat. Catpool wants to know how broad of an area do you fish in your uh, in your zone out there when you're guiding? Okay, um, let me let me get the charger plugged up here on my computer. My laptop's about to die. Then I'll answer that question. Okay. Chuck, are you ready to uh, get back out and get into some good fish? Oh man, I'm I'm ready, man. Me I, too. I can't I, wait. I mean, right now I'm in such a dilemma trying to figure out which direction I want to go with electronics, and <laughs> I know how much money I got. I know do I want to use it whoa, all whoa, on whoa, this? Whoa, 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 whoa! You got money, man. I mean, <laughs> got I'm. A, you got money? I've been saving it for a long time just for this. I'm the type of person when I buy something, I get my money's worth out of it, and I've had a, this 898 since uh, 2010. And, uh, you know, it's not, it wasn't uh, slow when I bought it, but. I don't know, you know, it's just after it gets so old, just like a computer, it just starts acting more sluggish, and I hold down on the power button, and it don't want to power off. And All them waypoints you got saved, man. <laughs> I, just, I just can't wait to get me another one so I can throw this sucker in the trash because I, I can't sell it and let nobody, get, let nobody get my waypoints. I hear you. Okay, Zach, you all plugged up? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. No problem. All right, uh, you said the question was how broad of an area 
Yeah, how how broad of an area do you fish? Uh, well, does it mean, you know, in, in general or at a particular time? I'm guessing guiding. Okay. Well, I mostly fish from, um, you know, the midpoint of Lake Gaston down to the dam, which is about a 10-mile a area altogether. Um, you know, as far as when I go out and and start on one particular day. Um, the way I do things normally, you know, I do a lot of trolling and drifting, so I'll kind of pick an area before I even get out there, um, and I'll stick to that plan. I won't really worry too much about, you know, what I'm seeing on my electronics on that particular day. You know, if I'm on a guide, if I'm going out on a guide trip to have customers on a boat, I've been pre-fishing, and I've got a decent idea of what's going on. Um, so I just go out and say I'm going to drift uh, a creek, you know, uh, I'll start at the mouth of the creek or in the back of the creek, depending on if there's wind blowing in or out, um, and I'll just, you know, kind of zigzag um, into or out of that creek, uh, covering as much structure as I possibly can, and, and as I said, I won't really worry about what I see on my electronics at that particular time. Um, I'll just go ahead with with my original plan and, and cover as much water as possible. I believe that just covering as much water as you can with fresh bait and getting kind of a nice scent trail going off the off the baits um, really is the way to go when fishing a lake that doesn't have much current. Okay. Greg wanted to know what kind of boat you have, and Tony said you had a 21-foot DLV. Would you explain what that is to us, please? Sure. Yeah, I've got a 2015 uh, Carolina Skiff. Uh, it is the 218 DLV model, which is the 21-foot, and it's got a, a semi-V hole on it. Um, so, you know, compared to the traditional skiffs with the complete flat bottom, it does ride a little better in um, rougher water. You know, it just kind of cuts through those, um, those waves a little better and makes for a better ride. And... Mm -hmm. That's a great catfishing boat. The only thing I would change is, uh, you know, as, like I was talking about earlier, it doesn't have a catfish live well on it. It doesn't have a live well of any size, really. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's the only thing about it is, um, you know, you kind of you kind of need either a portable live well or you need to have some kind of custom live well built into it if you plan on keeping those large catfish live in tournaments or anything else. Right. You know, realistically, Zach, that there there is a multitude of great boats on the market and that probably is the biggest problem with tournament catfishing guys is so many of the boats that they like or want or feel like they need does not have a live well big enough for five fish uh, or even three fish which I'm a big proponent of the three fish limit on tournaments but uh, you know even uh, you know in our area when we fish St. Louis uh, like I say, it's nothing for 125 to 200 pounds of fish on a three-fish limit. If you got five fish in there, there's very few live wells that could substantially hold them for eight hours, and, and that's the biggest downfall with most tournament boats. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's uh, you know, it's definitely definitely the biggest obstacle um, in in tournament catfishing and whatnot but when picking a boat is. Is trying to find one that's most suitable for keeping those those trophy fish alive, and 
not having any complications. Right. What kind of electronics do you run on your boat, Zach? Um, right now, I just have a I have an eight inch um, Simrad unit. It's the NSE eight. Um, it has you know GPS, side scan, structure scan, um, regular sonar, and then I also have a little Lowrance Elite four, which is what originally came on the boat when I bought it. Um, and all that is just regular sonar, nothing fancy. Um, and both of them are, are good units. Uh, I, I, like I said, I really don't use them uh, too much as far as locating fish, but uh, they do help a lot for structure um, and for finding schools of shad, of course. That's, that's the one time when I really use them a lot is locating bait. Yeah, they, they, they are... Uh, a godsend for that and and uh, you know there there's other things and you know I know a lot of people say well they're not going to fish a spot that uh, if they don't mark fish just because you're not marking fish does not mean there's not fish in that area and you know and I, some people understand that and other people don't but uh, I have caught some of the bigger fish and never marked them but I know on that structure them fish are there that's exactly right and, you know what taught me a lesson was you know, back when I first started uh, catfishing on a boat, uh, we just had a simple, simple little sonar unit, um, and you know, a lot of days we would mark fish in a spot, and we would try to fish that spot and not catch anything, and then we would fish another spot that had really nice structure, but we didn't mark much of anything, and we would start catching fish in that spot. Um, so, <laughs> You know, I hopefully learned that just because you mark fish in a spot doesn't necessarily mean you're going to catch them. A lot of times, you know, you might mark fish in deeper water, for example, where I fish in Lake Gaston, and those fish aren't active. They're just sitting there. Um, and then you might go into some shallower water, for example, and not mark much of anything, and, you know, you might put out lines and just immediately start catching active fish. Right, exactly. Greg would like to see your video and wants to know if you have it posted up on YouTube. Now, I know that you do have. Uh, would you give us that link so that he can find it and watch that because it's very entertaining? <laughs> um, I don't have it off the top of my head, the, the actual link, um, but it is on the Catch the Fever YouTube um, account. Uh, All right. That'll do it. That will do it. We'll get... You know that, that information, and, and I'm not sure if, if I've seen it on their their thing or if it was under your name, but it is available, and it's it's very good to watch, and uh, you know very entertaining. If you guys get a chance to uh, to see it, it's well worth taking a look at. Brad Bex would like to know what bait did you catch them fish on, and was you fishing on the bottom, or was you drifting, or just how did you do it? I was uh, drifting on the bottom with cut shad, gizzard shad. Um, I can't really say that, that one bait is better than another overall. I, I kind of use you know what I can get that's fresh. Uh, as long as it's fresh, I feel like most of the time you're going to do okay if it's you know if it's a bait fish that's natural to the body of water you're fishing. Was it big bait or small bait? Oh uh, well, I had big bait out, and surprisingly, both both the the record fish actually bit on smaller chunks of bait. Um, when I say smaller pieces of bait, I mean, you know, two or three inch um, chunks of bait, whereas on my other rods, I might have a, 
you know, a big old gizzard shad head or, you know, a four or five inch piece of bait. It might have a huge uh, piece of bait the size of my hand. So when you go out, do you do you set up, uh, I don't know how many rods you use at a time. We're, we're allowed uh, three per person most places that we fish now. We'll stagger ours with small pieces and big pieces and stuff to get started. And if the, the fish are hitting on the larger ones or the smaller ones, then we'll slowly move them over uh, to where they're closer to whatever size is predominantly getting hit. Is that how you go about doing it when you're catching your fish? Yes, that's, uh, that's pretty much exactly how I do it. Um, I always mix it up as much as possible and, and stagger them out um, to where I have a nice variety. Um, you know, and I, if I, if possible, I normally even put out a couple of live baits as well. Um, blue cats, you know, I know they're not as keyed in the live bait as flatheads are per se, but there's a lot of days where I don't get bites on cut bait, and for whatever reason, um, they'll they'll take a live bait every time, uh, even in the winter time, um, and particularly on suspended rigs, you know, such as slip bobbers or downlines. Right, right. Now, um, let me get back over to that page. When uh, when you're uh, going out there, are, are how many how many rods at a time are you allowed to use out there where you're at? Well, there's no regulation on the number of rods, um, but of course, with drifting and trolling, you're not gonna get out but so many before you have a major headache on your hands. Um, with that being said, you know. Generally, I'll start with anywhere from five to eight rods. Um, usually, a nice mix. As I said, I'll have I'll have them staggered, and uh, I'll you know I usually have at least two slip bobbers out, and I'll I'll let the line the slip bobbers out uh, uh, much farther than my my bottom bouncing rigs, and that helps avoid tangles as well. Okay, Major Brown would like to know what size hooks that you caught those record fish on, and Adam Winder would like to know what hooks you was using. I was using the uh, nine alt uh, Charlie Brown circle hooks from Bottom Dwellers. Um, I use the nine alts for drifting, and I use the ten alts uh, when I'm anchored up with really large baits, um, especially large live baits. Let me ask you one thing about those. Uh there's two different. He doesn't know he's froze up. <laughs> you froze. You froze up on us, Chuck. Start again. There's a there's a number ten regular Charlie Brown and there's a number ten uh, heavy duty. Do you use the? Uh, which one do you use on the number ten? And do you see a big difference in those? Uh, I just use the regular. Um, I don't use the heavy duty, and you know the reason for that being that I'm using 30-pound monofilament line, so I'm not too worried about you know bending a hook out or anything like that. Um, such as if you're using really heavy braid or really heavy mono, I can see the need for using one of those really thick wire hooks. But I offset my hooks a little bit, you know, when I get them. The trolley browns are, are one of the circle hooks that don't come offset. Um, so with that being said, it's easier for me to offset the regular size wire as opposed to the really heavy duty wire. Yeah, and I've I've tried both myself. Um, it seems like the the 
a heavy duty number 10 being such a big gauge that um, even on the tooth pallet um, it's harder it's harder to get it to go all the way through it seems like them them smaller gauge wires that they're so sharp anyway um, you don't have any problem uh, setting that hook and getting a good hook up um, I was just seeing what your thought was because I'm going to stay with the, the regular 9's and 10's and myself I prefer those and um, every time I've been hung up uh, they've straightened right out for me um, I've been able to, to bend them back perfectly um, and I've caught fish on those same hooks and they hadn't been a bit so um, you know they they working out really good. All right, go ahead, Lyle. Sorry for that. I just need. That's to all right. Any time, just jump right in there, Chuck. We'll make it happen. Uh, Slackline Catter would like to know if you use social media to help you look for fish patterns, or do you strictly go by what's been the history and stick to your waypoints? Yeah, I don't. I don't use social media at all for um, trying to figure out what the fish are doing. Uh, I honestly don't even know uh, too many people that. Fish for trophy catfish on Lake Gaston, either. I'm sorry, I really can't get a whole lot of feedback from from other anglers on the lake, um, except for my, you know, my guiding partner Zach Zajac, um, who helps me run the guide business. Me and him do work together, um, staying on top of the fish. But um, other than that, it's mostly just from, you know, I, I've got a, a fish journal basically from previous years to where I keep information and that just gives me a general idea of where to start um, you know according to the season or water temperature if, if I start to get a little bit off track you know start to have a little bit of trouble I can kind of look in that book and say okay well when the water temperature was 50 degrees and you know last year at this time that I fished and you know I can start kind of targeting uh, certain depths or type of structure and usually kind of key back into them that way. Then um, the, your, your uh, um, books that you keep all your, your previous year's information in, your log, do you go back and check that and go to those spots that you caught them fish in this time frame and temperature, water temperature, air temperature last year, do you look at those spots before you ever go to try to find fish? Um, I don't look at them every time. It's uh, more something I do if I start to have a little bit of a hard time and you know feel like I'm not really keyed in on the pattern. Um, then I'll I'll really start looking back. Uh, you know I might look at last year, the year before, and and try to you know think about it when I'm at home when I'm not on the water. Try to figure out what I can do different when I get back out there. Okay, let me let me ask you something else along those lines. Do you feel like if you are in the same air temperature uh, part of the year and the same water depth and temperature and, and every all the conditions are pretty much lined up as they were in the past, are those places the same year after year after year? Well, that's, uh, that's a good question because it's definitely not set in stone. I've learned that even with the same conditions as far as water temperature and weather and everything, um, the fish can can change from day to day and from year to year certainly. Um, but you know it's just it's just something to take into consideration basically. If you start 
thought, keeping a fish journal, so to speak. Um, it's not something you should, you know, use just, you know, you shouldn't base your fishing just off of that, uh, but it's just kind of a reference to look at um, and keep in mind. But, yeah, they definitely change even when the, the water temperature and conditions are the same one year. The next year they can do something totally different. Um, that's the thing about fishing. You really never know for sure, but all you can do is put the odds in your favor as much as possible. Do, do you do the guide service as a full-time job, or do you have another job that you work in conjunction with that? Uh, right now, I'm actually I'm, uh, taking college classes, so I'm, I'm not able to guide myself full-time. Um, but I work with you know, my guide partner, Zach Zajac. We run the business together, and he does you know, half the week, and I do the other half of the week. So, so you're a full-time college student. Yes, sir. I'm a full-time college student, and then I'm I'm doing the guiding um, the rest of the week. You know, the later part of the week. Outstanding, outstanding. That that's great. Uh, I'm glad. Uh, Aaron Wheatley said nothing beats time on the water. I would I would agree with that. The more time that you can spend on the water, the more successful you'll be. You'll learn stuff, and and if you have the time to try new stuff, that's that's when you try it and figure stuff out that you may or may not have done. If you don't have time to do it, of course you're not going to get it done. That's exactly right. What well, what are you majoring in, Zach? And is fishing uh, have a lot to do with what you've chosen for your major? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I majored in marine technology, and, and you know, I, part of the reason that I, I chose that as a major was because it it has to do with being on the water. Um, for example, I you know I have a class um, fishing gear technology, so you know it's hard to beat that if if you're into the, the fishing and whatnot, and being on the water, um, finding you know a career. Um, or a course of study that kind of goes along with what you love to do and what you want to do in life. It's, um, you know, it's just hard to beat it. So what, what does your classmates say when you come to school and show them these big fish on, the, on your phone? <laughs> do they think you're full of crap or, or what? <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely uh, interesting as far as that goes. <laughs> <laughs> All I'll say is glad I have some pictures to back it up because uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I can't imagine. You know, of course, it's been a while since I was in school, but uh, you know, in them days, you went in and you talked about how fast your car would go in, and nobody know you could go out and catch 50, 60, 80, 100 pound blue cats. In them days, they, you know, the guys went out fishing. You know, they was looking for four or five pound channel cats. <laughs> yeah, didn't nobody know you could do it. I mean, the only the only people that caught anything of any size in those days was catching them on trot lines. Hell, there wasn't even nobody using jugs in them days. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, Brad Dirk just got on the on the chat, and he says, "Is thank God that he didn't." know about catfishing when he was in college or he never would have graduated. <laughs> well, that's definitely another another challenge of uh of having the the catfishing addiction is trying to 
kind of balance out the priorities and keep everything on track. <laughs> well, and that's 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 true with a lot of a lot of stuff. But you know, if you're going to school full time and you're guiding the rest of the time, it, it uh, that's got to take into a big part of your life. And and uh, it's it's great that that you would spend your free time. Uh, taking other people's out and sharing your experiences and knowledge of catfishing with them, that's, that's outstanding. It really is. So I, I really enjoy doing it. I mean, uh, it's one of those things where if you don't love, you know, what you're doing, then there's no way you're going to make it. Um, uh, got no. That, that's so true and and you know you you get out of college and stuff and I'm sure that you're gonna be qualified for some really outstanding jobs and you'll probably do that but from what I'm hearing from you I fully expect you to continue on the guide and even though you have a job and and take people out and, and uh, share your knowledge and experience and show them what they need to be do to find these fish for themselves yeah for sure uh, I plan to, to keep doing it if nothing else um, always part time, um, but it you know it may get to the point where that is uh, my full time career, um, and if that ends up being the case, I would definitely be you know more than happy with that outcome as well. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, Catpool wants to know if you're going to be at the Catfish Conference in uh, Kentucky here next month. Um, I'm not going to be at that. Okay. Well, that's too bad. It would be nice to sit down with you and, and uh, visit with you a little bit. He also would like to know if catching those records has helped your business at any at all. Yeah, it, it definitely has. Um, it's definitely got, you know, got the God business a lot more recognition and, and whatnot. So it's definitely had a positive effect. I would have to think that catching two fish of that magnitude in that area was surely made an impact on the local uh, businesses around there probably coming in wanting to do some fishing there probably getting people in there that they never had in that area before I would think so um, you know so far uh, it's just it's you know it's hard to judge this time of year uh, but I think in the spring when things start warming up a little more you know, a lot more will start happening as far as that goes. Well, I'm quite sure you're right. I'm quite sure you're right. Well, Zach, it's been awfully great for you to take your time and spend with Chuck and I on Catfish Weekly this week. I know we've had a, a big number of people uh, watching the show tonight. I can see the numbers go across my screen and stuff, and I can't thank you enough. And I know Chuck, he's probably got some more questions, and he may not be done, but... Uh, at this particular time, we're going to give you all the time you need to thank the people that have helped you do what you do and any sponsors or people you'd like to talk about. Take your time and go ahead and do so. Okay. Um, you know, most of all, I just definitely want to thank Catch the Fever again, um, Big Cat Fever. Um, you know, they've just been really great to me, um, as you guys were talking about earlier, as far as the payout goes for the state record. Um, they came through on that just as they say they will in their advertising. Um, you know, I have been on pro staff with them for a little while now and started using their uh, medium heavy rods a while back when they first were released. And they definitely have been the best rods I've used. Um, just, you know, for what I do, 
I, I don't think there's any going back to a, another type of rod. And I, I believe those rods played a big role in the fish that I landed, um, you know, being having that the action that they have, have and everything. Uh, but I just definitely can't thank those guys enough uh, for everything they've done for me and and just for what they're doing for the catfishing community in general. I'm trying to help it grow and promote, you know, um, Steve P. All and the trophy fish and making outstanding products. Well, one thing that, that I want to thank you for taking the time and effort to return those fish to the water. You know, people don't understand how important it is to get those breeding size fish back to where they can reproduce. And people will say, oh, you know, that fish weighed 100 pounds. You know, it doesn't breed anymore. Well, that's simply not true. Them fish breed until the day they die. They lay eggs. They fertilize them eggs. It's not like different species. They continually to do that as long as they're alive. So every time that one of those big fish are lost, you you lose that whole gene pool. And, and from that point on, you've, you've lost everything that that fish has to offer. So uh, the people that, that tell you that, they're just full of crapola. And thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that, and it's it's people it's very important that people do that to breed size fish, and nobody nobody ever says anything about somebody taking fish home and eating them because that's you know that's why so many of us got started. Everybody likes to take home a fish and eat, but there's there's no reason to kill them big ones like that. Them's just you know uh, the guy that says that man I'd have cut that baby up and ate it. He might be the next one that gets the honor of catching that fish, and, and let's see, after knowing that you turned that baby loose, let's just see how he feels about taking that thing out of that gene pool. You know, it's exactly. that's, got, that's hard to do. And, and I mean, the way I look at it, uh, somebody goes out and puts the time in and work and, you know, and, and learns how to catch them and everything, and, and they end up catching a record-sized fish, the same one that I let go Um they deserve it just as much as I do or anyone else. And I, I believe that, you know, taking taking those fish, if I had kept those fish um, and, and killed them, it, it just would have been a selfish thing to do. And I, I agree completely. I agree. Not, it, it, just as you explained it, it has a negative effect on the population in general, and then at the same time you're taking away somebody else's opportunity. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, a little kid might go out and catch that fish. There's, there's nothing greater to think that one day you're having children of your own or grandchildren, and they get to catch an offspring of that fish. You know, just think about that for a minute. Yeah, so. you're exactly right. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people think of it that way, and they don't, don't really think about the future generations. Um, but it, it's something people really need to take into consideration. I agree. I agree. Chuck, have you got anything you want to visit with Zach about yet tonight? Yeah, I was just going to, uh, you know, give him a quick um, an opinion. You know, you, you didn't thank your girlfriend, and that should be something really big you need to get used to doing. Because, <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, after you get older, especially as much as she, um, you know, supports you and, and um, as much time as you spend away from her on the water, and I, I see y'all go out and, and fish together a lot, um, you know. And if she is the one, um, you know, your your girlfriend, your wife, 
um, always should be the first one that you think. That's always going to be your number one sponsor. She's always going to be your num number one fan. Um, you know, so, you know, take it from me, take it from Lyle. That should be uh, every time somebody asks you uh, and gives you an opportunity to, to give thanks to your sponsors. Um, you know, if it's in a magazine, if it's uh, on TV, if it's on a, a a webinar whatsoever, include her and um, you know tell her how much you appreciate uh, the support that she gives you on doing the things you love to do. That's exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that's definitely. Um, you you can't do it without the support of, of your significant other. And uh, you know the support of your family in general. That that's very true. You know, Cindy and I fish tournaments together, and you guys might work a relationship out like that, and uh, it'll be the greatest thing that you ever got involved with. You do, I promise you that. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Chuck, have you got any closing statements for tonight? Uh, no, I'm I'm good, Lyle. Uh, it it was great having Zach on, and I really appreciated this time that he gave us. Um, you know, he's been a uh, a social media sensation. He's been uh, on plenty of magazine articles. I've seen him on um, you know, news, everything else, and I'm glad he gave us the opportunity on covering this story he had, uh, telling you know, sharing us uh, a lot of the information on catching those really big blue cats. Um, you know, he, he's just now college age. He's got a big, huge future ahead of him. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. He, he is the future of the sport. I agree 100%. Um, and, and everybody his age under him and the guys older than him uh, need to sit back and see what catfish sporting is all about, and Zach is a trophy catfish sportsman. Yeah, absolutely, I agree 100%. One, one more thought here, boys, before we take off. Justin Connor says he is very fortunate. Tabitha has his bait caught and ready when he gets home for work. What's <laughs> up with that? What What is up with that? <laughs> Justin, you got it, man. That that's pretty cool. Some There's guys got it all, man. Yeah, some guys do. I, I knew a guy years ago when we used to race stock cars that his he blowed a motor one night and he come home uh, from work on a Friday afternoon. His wife had a short block ready. All he had to do is put the heads on, slip that baby in. He went to the racetrack and done well. I mean, it didn't blow up or nothing. And, and here here's Justin. Tabitha goes out and catches his fish for bait for him so they can go fishing. You can't beat a deal like that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Zach, thanks again. For Chuck Davison, I'm Lyle Stokes. Thanks for watching Catfish Weekly. Next week, be excuse me, be sure and tune in. We're going to have Mr. Sh Craig Shoemade on the show. We're going to talk about fishing the lakes around uh, central Missouri, the Missouri River, and different things, so it ought to be a great show. See you then. <laughs>